welcome. So glad you're here. We're starting a new series today, as Derek just said, on the Song of Solomon. And read through this book of the Song of Solomon and see what it has to say about relationships. Today, the message is entitled, Where Passion Begins. Just a couple brief things as far as housekeeping or introduction goes, I want to say before we get started. Number one, your bulletin has a connect card in it. That connect card is there for you if you want to ask questions or make suggestions, um, anything that you might want to say, or even if you want to offer up a better movie clip than that, please write it down. Questions and suggestions, you can drop them in the gray boxes on your way out on either side. Number two, this series is for mature audiences. So parents, if you have a child in here or anytime throughout the series, someone will be aware of that. I'll never forget, it's about five years ago, I was speaking, and a brand new family came in. They sat right up on the front row, and they had like three or four kids with them. And so I did, we did a meet and greet, just so that I could talk to them for a few moments. So we had everybody stand up, shake hands, and I went to them privately and said, hey, look, we're talking about relationships, and it's kind of a you know, mature situation today. We're talking about something else in the Bible, not Song Solomon. And I said, you know, you might want to, and they said, oh, no, it's, no, it's all good. Talking about the Bible, it's all good. So I got about five minutes into the message and their eyes started popping out of their heads and they got at the kids and they rushed them out. So I just want you to be aware of this. Uh, you know, the Song of Solomon has some pretty graphic stuff in there. And so you just need to be aware of that. And here's the reason we're talking about it. You might say, hey, John, isn't that a little embarrassing talking about that? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, it is embarrassing. Yes, it is embarrassing. And here's the problem that I've had. I've never done a series on the Song of Solomon ever in my entire life. I maybe have quoted a verse here and there. But this isn't like a section of the Bible. It's an entire book. It is a book that is a song, a song that was sung on the eighth day after Passover, and it was celebrated. This song is sung. So it's not like we can ignore an entire book. We can ignore a verse here and there, but this is a whole book. So I have to talk about it because that's what we do here at Grace. We talk about the Bible. Lastly, in here, bulletin, if you open it all the way up, there's a reading list. That list is very important. We're going to cover a lot of topics right through this. We are not going to cover every topic today. So some people, you, know, you, um, you might say, oh man, if you talk today, you might be ready to go with that connect card. Why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you talk about that? Well, this is more of a marathon, not a sprint, right? We can't talk about every topic today. We'll try to get to a lot of topics because that's what the Song of Solomon is talking. It talks about a lot of different things. It talks about being married. talks about being single. talks about dating. talks about physical intimacy. talks about a lot of this kind of stuff. So we'll cover a lot. But these books that are on the reading list, they're excellent. Some of them for married, some of them for singles. Some are specifically for single guys. Some are specifically for single girls. And so you should check it out. It's a lot of great material in here. Things, sometimes we'll talk about things and we'll only touch on it, where these books will expand on it. So I think you'll find it very, very helpful, I hope. All right, here's the first fill in the blank. So if you're brand new, on the back of this, there is a message outline. And we have a couple little blanks. We put the blanks there because... Uh, keeps you engaged and maybe keeps you awake, and that makes me feel better when you're awake. So here's the first fill in the blank. Sex is God's idea. We've we got to know that right off the bat. Sex is God's idea. It's celebrated here. Sex is not God, and we'll talk about that one time throughout this series. Sex is not God, but it's God's idea. Sex is not gross. It's God's idea. It's celebrated. It's a gift in the Song of Solomon. It is a part of the answer. It's not a part of the problem. It was not meant to be part of the problem. Although you would say today, it's definitely a part of the problem. And it's talked about a lot. It's part of the problem. If you don't think it's part of the problem, ask the Secret Service. They'll tell you part of the problem. 
The pornography industry today in the United States of America is bigger than the NFL, which just had it draft this past week, RG3. Go Redskins. That's right. That's right. Down with Dallas. Okay. <laughs> pornography industry is bigger than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. That's how big it is. And it is devastating. One day we'll talk about porn through this, but it is devastating people. It's devastating. It's causing people to lose their jobs and lose their marriages. It's terrible what's going on with porn. And it's exploding. It's exploding. Very profitable business. All right? Women. It's almost as many women struggle with pornography today as men do. An unhealthy and a misguided obsession with sex is not good at all. And we're, we're there. There's a, there's a website called, I don't exactly know that. I think it's called Ashley's something like this. I know nobody wants to raise their hands. Like, yes, I know that website. <laughs> but it's a website about helping married people find somebody to have an affair with. It's something like that. It's Ashley, I don't think it's Madison or something like that. They're offering any woman a million dollars if they can prove they've had sex with Tim Tebow. I heard that on sports radio this past week. That's messed up. That's weird. So that's not good. There's an unhealthy obsession with it. God is the creator of physical intimacy, oneness, sex, whatever you want to call it. And he gives us an entire book, like a manual, because it's so important. So important. He gives us this manual, and it's called a Song of Solomon. I have one major goal that goes beyond every other goal throughout this eight-week series. And the one major goal is, is to get you to read the Bible to get you to read the Song of Solomon. It's eight chapters, and it's filled with important things that will bless your life and that will make a difference in your relationship. It will turn a relationship that's dull into smoking hot. It'll turn a relationship that's down in the dumps, and it'll resurrect it because God's Word is powerful, and it has so many wonderful things. You'll read different things. You start reading this. Like, you can just read chapter one this week. We'll make it about halfway through chapter one. So you just start reading chapter one. You don't have to read the whole thing. Read chapter one. Read it five, six, seven times. Think about what it's, what it's saying. And some, you'll come to certain things that you'll say, oh my goodness, is it, is it really saying what I think it's saying? And the answer many times is, yes, it is saying what you think it is saying. Now, people have tried to interpret the Song of Solomon a lot of different ways throughout the years. Like I said, it was sung the eighth day after Passover, celebrating, you know, um, Egypt and the deliverance of Egypt and all that kind of stuff. But, but throughout the years, we've like shied away and said, oh my gosh, God could not be writing us this kind of stuff in the Bible, you know, these things that I, that I read about. And so there's a lot of sermonizing about it and saying, oh, no, it just it represents Jesus in the church and all this kind of stuff. I want to read you one verse. If you have your Bible, it's not on the outline. If you have your Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, check out what verse number 13 says. So she's speaking, the woman's speaking here, and she says, my lover is a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Now, People have tried to oh, figure out what exactly is the Bible saying with that. So there's a fairly famous theologian, fairly famous, the- Cyril of Alexandria. All right, this guy is a really well-known 5th century theologian. And so here's what he said about this. He said, all right, what you have here, you know, my lover, sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. So you got one breast is the Old Testament and the other breast is the New. <laughs> I'm dead serious. And it's Jesus who is the sachet of myrrh spanning, spanning the two breasts of the Old and New Testament. This is what... Now, okay, maybe that could be the case. But there's a lot of things said about the uh, breast uh, throughout the Song Solomon. And one time you see the breasts are browsing. 
I don't know if that's Jesus and his disciples like at the marketplace browsing about. <laughs> Another place there are gazelles running, running breasts. And maybe Jesus is having a foot race with his disciples. <laughs> Different things there. So it's all about interpretation to figure those things out. We're going to go through it line by line, verse by verse. We're starting chapter 1 today, verse 1, 2, 3. We're just going to trek our way through slowly, which means we're going to hit lots of topics in kind of random ways. So from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse number 5, Here's the way I take it as I've read this over and over again and thought and studied and read lots of commentaries on it. What you have here is you have a couple who is either engaged or are dating and are headed to marriage and they're flashing forward and they're thinking about what it's going to be like when they are married and they're giving us tidbits of information about you know, what it means to date or what, what, what are you looking forward to and different things like that. And then you notice a difference when you reach chapter 3, verse number 6 because it's the wedding ceremony. It becomes really clear because it's, here he comes. Here comes the bridegroom and he's in his chariot and he's coming. And then... Chapter 5, you notice everything changes in chapter 5. Because in the beginning, it's like, hey, let's go to the garden. Hey, let's go eat the fruit of the garden. Hey, let's go. It's like all, let's future tense. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, chapter 5 is like, oh, man, we've been to the garden. We've been eating the fruit. And they're talking about exactly what you think they're talking about. And so so now they're married in chapter 5 all the way through the chapter. And they have good times. They have bad times. They have struggles. And so it's all there. God gives us this full buffet. He gives us this manual on how to have a smoking hot relationship. And, you know, I say, yay, God, for doing that. Because this is integral to our lives. Very, very important to our lives. This is what God does. So, all right, here's another fill in the blank. The Song of Solomon will show us this, that a smoking hot relationship requires a servant's heart servant's heart you have got to want to serve the person who you're in a relationship you have got to want to serve your spouse and if you don't have a servant's heart if it's just a pain in the neck if it's a pain in the neck to serve them this is gonna be a problem and you've got to say god give me a servant's heart develop that anything you can do practically spiritually whatever you've got to begin to now our culture is was running like, like a Mack truck smack dab into that because our culture increasingly is about being served, right? It's our culture. We pay people to serve us. God, years ago, you wouldn't go out to eat at restaurants like this all the time. Restaurants are exploding all over the place. People are eating out all the time. Like, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we never went out to eat. We go out to eat all the time now. It's a way of life. Some people, that's all they do is eat out. Does anybody remember when flying on an airplane, like you get dressed up, you put your tuxedo on to fly? It was like a big deal. Going out to eat was a big deal. Some of you are too young to remember that. But it's a big deal. We're used to being served. We're served everything. We, many of us have somebody clean our houses. We have somebody mow our lawns. We have somebody deliver our groceries. We pay to be served. That's all sign of the day. Got poop, we scoop. We pay people to come and to serve us by cleaning up the poop that we don't want to clean up. And so then we see the Bible in the Song of Solomon says, you want a smoking hot relationship? You want an off-the-charge relationship? You've got to have a servant's heart. And there's a big collision there between the two. Now, a great marriage requires a servant's heart. First Corinthians chapter seven, the apostle Paul is talking about marriage. He's talking about being single. And he says, look, if you're single and look, hey, well, first of all, all you single people, I hear this all the time. Well, I feel like, you know, I'm second rate in the church. Like I'm not as spiritual as the married people. Bull. I could say that song stronger. We'll just stop with the word bull. All right. All right. Okay. Like that. Jesus Christ was single. Last time I read the Bible, he's pretty highly admired. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, single, single. Also, 
highly esteemed in the scriptures, right? And he says that when you're single, he's right in the same way. When you're single, you're doing better than other people who are married. You're doing better. The single person do better. So if you're single here this morning and you're sitting next to a married person, I want you to turn to them right now and say, I'm doing better. <laughs> I want you to have a little attitude. I'm doing better, baby. I'm doing better than you. Doing better than you. Why does he say that? Why does he say? Why does he say you're doing better? Because he says this. Listen, he says, I'm doing better because I have more time and energy to serve my God by serving his church. That's why I'm doing better. Because all married people, they got to give all their time and their energy or much of their time or some of their time and energy to serving each other. That's what you do in a marriage. You serve each other. And then you have less time to serve God and to serve the church. You've got to devote that time and energy to serve each other. So what do we learn from that? We learn that to be married, you've got to have a servant's heart. What else do we learn? We learn this, is that as a single person, one of the ways that you prepare yourself for marriage, and again, most single people eventually get married. Eventually, most people end up getting married. So if you're single here today and you want to get married, the odds are in your favor that you will get married if you've never been married before. But one of the ways you signal God, say, hey, God, well, right here, I want, I want to get married, and I'm just letting you know that I'm preparing myself because I'm serving you by serving the church and allowing you to develop a servant's heart in, in my life. All right. So we're going to go over some things every now and then that's going to sting and some's going to sting a lot. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. It's the things that sting me the most where I see the greatest benefit if I deal with them rather than run away from them. So I checked this past week and I said, all right. So single people serving the church. So I asked on all of our volunteer teams here at Grace, do we have more marriage or singles? You know what we have? We have more married people. If you're a single person here this morning and you want to get married, you show God that you are preparing to get married by signing up and serving for the cause of Jesus Christ by serving his church. Very important. It's the way you signal to God. So I know that's not fun to hear sometimes. Like, hey, man, what are you talking about? I'm busy. All right. I understand that uh, very much. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what the, what the Bible says here and something that we need to think about. Here's the other thing I want to say as a way of introduction. Marriage is not dead. Please write that down. It's not dead. As opposed to popular belief. Oh, yeah, marriage is, marriage is dead. It's for losers. It's boring. Chris Rock says you can be single and lonely or married and bored. You can be single and lonely, married. That's the popular opinion. That's right. All married people, they're just bored. They're just bored people. Uh, Mark Twain said this. God's great cosmic joke on the human race was requiring that men and women live together in marriage. That's God's big joke. All right. Divorce. Divorce hovers around 45%. You know who's getting divorced in America? For the most part, the the largest crew of people who attribute to that 45%, they are people who are uneducated. They're very young, like around 18. They're young, they're uneducated, and they're pregnant before they get married. That's what represents the largest portions of people who are getting divorced. So you say, oh yeah, man, everybody's getting divorced. No, not true. Here's the deal. If you're educated, If you're an educated person and you're religious and you're over 25 and you are not pregnant before you get married, you you stand a very low, low, low chance of actually ever getting a divorce. That's the truth. That's what the numbers show us. There are tremendous benefits. Marriage is alive and well. There's tremendous benefits to being married. Married people, according to study after study after study, are happier, healthier, more financially stable. And check this one out. You ready for this? They're more sexually satisfied than single people. Now, do you see that? Do you see that in movies? Who's the most sexually satisfied person in the movies? 
It's a single guy or a single girl who's out just, whoo, just ripping it every night, right? <laughs> That's not true. That is a false assumption. That's very misleading. Doesn't happen. What you find is the most satisfied people are two people committed to each other in a marriage relationship. That's what the numbers show us. Check this out. Over 60% of married people say they are very happy in their marriage. Over 60%, over 60% of married people say they're very happy. Not just happy. They're very happy in their marriage. All right. One last thing about marriage. I got to say, how does the Bible begin? Like once all the pieces of the creation puzzle are put into place, like we got everything, we got the world, we got the animals, we got Adam. Boom. Now we have Eve. What happens? What's the very next thing that happens after all the pieces of the puzzle are on the table? What happens? A wedding. A wedding happens, right? So first thing that God does after everything's in place is, okay, now let's have a wedding. And it seems as if, right, it doesn't say this, but it almost insinuates that God officiates himself the first wedding ceremony. So he's got Eve. He brings her down the aisle, and then he stands up front, both of them there, stark naked, right? Like they don't have to rip any clothes off anyway. They just get right to business after it's all over, right? There they are, and he marries them. That's how important a wedding is. All right, how about this? How does the, how's the book end? How's the book? How's the Bible end? Revelation. What's the last thing we see? Revelation 21, 22. What happens? A wedding. A wedding. And here we see definitely God the Father is the officiant at the wedding. And the Holy Spirit sends out the wedding invitations. And we see Jesus Christ marrying the church of Jesus Christ. We ends with a wedding. You know what I'm thinking? I think God's really into marriage. I'm thinking it starts with a wedding, it ends with a wedding, and I'm predicting this. Here's my prediction. As long as God is alive and well, marriage will be alive and well. That's my prediction. Marriage is alive and it's well. The Song of Solomon, here's the next fill-in. The Song of Solomon is the best song of all. Isn't that interesting? It's the best song of all. Chapter 1, verse 1 says this. How it starts. Solomon's song of songs. You know what that means in Hebrew? When you read it's the song of songs, it means here is the best, the greatest song of all. Think about all the songs in the Bible. The Bible says it's the song of songs. It is the song of songs. It's the best song that we have. We have 150 songs in the book of Psalms, and it says that this one is the best song of all. It's about marriage and romance, a smoking hot marriage. Read this. You will not believe what's going on in there. This is the best song. Of all. We got, we got Mary's song, the mother of Jesus Christ. She's awesome song. It says, no, no, here it is. The best, the Bible says, here's the best song that we have. That amazes me. Romance is God's idea. It pleases God. It pleases God when we're romantic. It's his idea. Being physically intimate with each other is God's idea doesn't disgust God. It pleases God when it's put in the proper context. And we'll spend a lot of time, not today, but one day, we'll talk about that context. It's God's idea. So, so it, in Genesis, after the wedding happens, and then it says, now the two will become one flesh. I have spoken on that so many times in wedding ceremonies. To, I said, oh, man, I just, I wax eloquent. I just say, oh, man, you two are going to be one. God wants to help you be on the same page, to be unified, functioning as one person. And I make all this. And it, it's all good. It's not that I'm lying. Okay? But you know what specifically it's talking about here? You know the oneness it's talking about? Specifically, contextually, it's talking about two people being physically 
joined together and a physical act of intimacy. That's the oneness that is being spoken of here. Now, when Adam and Eve disobey God and they sin, tell me, what's the first thing that's affected? What is the first thing that's disruptive in their relationship when they sin? Their sexuality. Which is why we have a massive problem with sexuality today. The first thing that's affected is their sexuality. They realize all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we are naked. They knew they were naked before. You think they didn't? You think he didn't realize she was naked? He realized she was naked. That's why he was so excited, right? He knew she was naked. But all of a sudden, shame, fear, they go into hiding. And today, we have a massive problem, massive problem with sexuality, which we will talk about in the weeks to come. What is affected? Their sexuality is affected. I believe by studying God's word, I believe by studying the Song of Solomon, that God can begin to reverse the curse that happens in our lives because God's word is powerful. So let's just jump right on it. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 2. It's in your Bible. It's on your bulletin. Either way, this is what it says. Let him kiss me. Oh, yeah. Let him kiss me. It starts out with a bang, everybody. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, as opposed to the toes. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name, your name is like perfume that's poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away. Now she's, she's getting whipped into a frenzy. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Come on, let's go. Let the king bring me into his chambers, into his bedroom. So you get the picture here. Kiss me. Kiss me. And she's thinking about, she's thinking about after they get married, because you would never, in their culture, you would never kiss before you get married. She's thinking, here's what's going to happen when you get married. I want him to kiss me. I want to kiss me a lot. Because his name, we're going to talk about what the name means in a second. And she's just, and then it crescendos at the end. Hurry, let's run. And you see him running into the bedroom and the door slams. And then what happens? You have the friends. That's the chorus. Remember, this is a song. You have the choir. The choir breaks out in a hallelujah chorus. Husbands, would that be cool? running to the bedroom the door slams hallelujah right <laughs> boom friends rejoice he said we rejoice and delight in you we will praise your love more than wine wine celebrate wine symbolizes an incredible celebration there's this huge celebration that breaks out these guys are running to the bedroom so let's talk about where passion starts passion begins with a kiss it begins with a kiss all right men listen up husbands listen up she wants to be kissed Kiss her. Don't kiss her face off. Don't slobber all over her. She wants to be kissed. Please, how can I say it any stronger? All the passion. This incredible book of the Song of Solomon, which is a manual for us for smoking hot relationships, begins how, husbands? It begins with a kiss. It starts with a kiss. I asked Krista one day, my wife, Krista, I said, hey, as opposed to some other random lady I was meeting on the street, uh, I said, how can I serve you better? How can I love you better? What do you want me to do? And I said that, and then I braced myself. I braced myself. I was like, what's going to happen? She's just going to lay it on me. I want you to do this, 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 this. She's going to lay it on me. And she said, what can I do? And she said, I want you to kiss me before you leave the house in the morning. Get ready to leave. I want you to kiss me. When you get home, first thing I want you to do when you walk through the door, I want you to kiss me. And before you go to bed at night, I want you to kiss me. I said, that's it? She said, that's it. I want you to kiss me. Biologically speaking, everybody, when we kiss, when we kiss somebody, it relaxes us. It takes the stress away, all right? This city is loaded down with stress. 
we've got way too much stress in this city. Stress, everybody, is the great separator. Separates us from God, separates us from each other. You have got to do something to deal with your stress. There's a book on your reading list by uh, John Gray, Why Mars and Venus Collide. Excellent book, all about stress. I loved it. I loved it. I really did. It's all about the biological, how we deal with stress, and, the, and it's got to be dealt with. In your marriage, you want a smoking hot marriage, you're going to have to deal with stress. You're going to have to, you have to figure out a, a, a very effective way of dealing with stress. And so kissing is one of the ways that you deal with it. It relaxes you. We'll talk about many other ways, but it relaxes. Kiss her. Kiss her. I need to get emails this week, husbands. I need to get emails from wives this week who say, you know what? This guy's kissing me. Like our kissing's gone up by a thousand percent this week. I it's got to happen. There's got to be a lot of kissing that's going on because you want to smoke it. You want it passionate. You want to smoke it out kissing. And again, don't kiss her face off. Just nice, gentle kissing. Takes her. A marriage counselor says this kissing is the indicator of the quality of a sexual relationship. That's what a marriage counselor says in one of the books on your reading list. It's quality of the relationship. Alfred Tennyson. I like this. This is what he says. Our spirits rushed together at the touching of the lips. Our spirits rush together at the touching of the lips. Kiss her. Ask these questions. How can I serve you? How can I love you better? We need to ask each other those questions. How can I, how can I serve you? How can I love you better? Ask that question. Number one, where does it start? Passion begins with a kiss. Number two, passion begins with a name. Very important. Verse number three. Let's look at it. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. All right, now here we go. Your name is like perfume that is poured out. No wonder all the other young women love you. Why? Because your name. What does the name represent? The name represents character. It represents integrity. It represents somebody's reputation. So, ready? Uh, all the single ladies, listen up. All the single ladies. Beyonce's in the house. Okay, ready? All single ladies. Listen up, okay? Character is king. Character is king. All the single ladies, can you say that with me? Character is king. Ready? One, two, three. Character is king. Please, I beg of you, I beg of you, if I could get down on my knees and that would make some kind of impact on you, please listen to me. Character is what you are looking for. If you don't have character, you have nothing. Over two decades of talking to married couples and talking to women, wives, whose hearts are broken, character is king. Is king. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for some guy who's cool. You're not looking for some guy who is, uh, you know, awesome looking, this incredible guy who makes a lot of money or, or whatever. You're looking for character. And that's what the Bible says. Your, and you know what? It says all the other young women, all the other women, they're around. Yes, we love them too. You know why? Because his reputation is sterling. He's got great... You get in a relationship, he can be as cool, he can be rich, he can be handsome, he has no character. You have nothing. You have nothing. Please do not make that mistake. All the young women applaud that. So there's a story that's told about a young woman. She really wanted to get married. So what she did, here's what she did. She went out and she got a pair of jeans, perfect size. The perfect size jeans that she wanted a man to fill in, in, in those jeans, right? That's what she wanted. She wanted to look at her. She had the perfect size. She hung them on the foot of her bed and she prayed a prayer every night. God, I've hung these jeans on the foot of my bed, fill them with a man. So she got up in church and she testified, here's what I'm doing. I'm praying every night that God would fill those jeans with a man. Well, a young guy was in there. He heard that story. He said, that's pretty good. He went out and he bought a bikini. <laughs> hung that at the foot of his bed. Now, what are they looking for? What are they looking for? They're looking for looks. There's nothing wrong with looks. 
It's a good thing. It's a good, I'm not telling you to ignore it. I'm just telling you, head and shoulders above everything else, character. We need to spend some serious time vetting out the people who we're dating, who we're hanging with. And the first thing you're looking for is character because character is king. So here's how the whole thing starts. It says, number one, you got a man and he's got character. I mean, his character, his reputation, sterling, pure, pure as gold. He smells good. He's got all this cologne on. And he's kissing her. Get just soft, gentle smooches all over the place. Character, cologne, nice smooching. Guys, how does she respond? Whoa! Run! Not, don't, don't walk. Run as quickly. God, this is exactly where you want her to be, right? <laughs> right there. Is that making sense? All right, let's continue on. Let's continue on. All right, let's pick it up in verse number five. Now she speaks again. So the, the choir sang their hallelujah chorus, and now she's speaking again. She says, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. She's speaking to him, and she's speaking to all the young women who live in the city of Jerusalem, and she's not from the city of Jerusalem. She lives in the countryside outside. So dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Let's stop right there. What in the world is she talking about? She is drawing attention to what she feels is her most prominent physical attribute, and that is her hair. The tents of Kedar were made of a very dark and beautiful goat's hair. And so people look at them back in those days. Maybe you don't think goat's hair is beautiful. I'm not really really into goat's hair myself, but I'm saying back in those days is a really big deal. And this is the poetic way of saying, I have beautiful hair. I, this, is, this is my strongest physical attribute. And she, listen. I just want to say this. She is drawing attention to what she feels is her strength. Next, she's going to get into an insecurity. I want to say this before I get into the insecurities. A lot of times, uh, women and wives, women, both women or wives, a lot of times, because of the insecurity, we'll draw attention, we'll draw attention, we'll draw attention to what we feel bad about, you know, physically. And what she's doing is drawing attention first to what she feels good about. You know, if you talk enough about, what you feel bad about physically, you're going to draw your husband's attention to that too. But if you talk about what you, what, what you feel is your asset, you're going to draw his attention to that as well. Just a, just a side note, okay? Now, here she goes with insecurity. She's very, she, she gets into some insecurity, and I think all women can relate to this. So after she says that, then she says, oh, but don't stare at me. Don't stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. She has a suntan. I mean, her day was an attractive thing to have. I mean, now we all want a suntan. She didn't have a suntan. It was looked down upon. It was seen as unattractive. She had to work out in the fields. Why all the other city girls from Jerusalem, remember she's talking about the Jerusalem girls, they, they didn't. They're all, you know, working indoors and living a good life and pampering themselves and taking care of themselves. Says, Do not stare at me because I'm dark. I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons, my brothers, all right, they were angry with me and they made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard, my own life, my own self, my own personal well-being, my own vineyard I had to neglect. She feels very insecure. She feels there's an unattractiveness about her. Then she kind of goes, she changes gears and she kind of goes into this funny thing about wanting an afternoon rendezvous and they play with each other this is really important she says tell me you whom i love where do you graze your flock and where do you rest your sheep at midday why should i be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends all right she says that then she closes out now watch how he responds 
verse number eight. He says this. If you don't know, then what does he call her? Most beautiful of women. All right, now here's how he starts to love her and to counteract her in insecurity. This is the first time he speaks. If you don't know, oh, most beautiful of women. You're the most beautiful woman ever. Very gently, very patiently, doesn't get frustrated, doesn't get angry. It's like, hey, you know, quit with the, you know, all that bad stuff. No, he just very patiently, very lovingly, very gently, very powerfully. Oh, most beautiful of women. If you don't know most beautiful women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. And then he says this, ready for this? I liken you, my darling. That's his favorite term of endearment for her. He calls her his darling. He does it all over the place. I liken you, my darling, to a mare, a horse, a mare amongst Pharaoh's chariot horses. What is up with that? Like the way he compliments her, you're the most beautiful. He says, hey, baby, you're a horse. You're a horse. I want you, you are just an awesome horse. Why, why is that? Why, does, why is that so powerful? I want to tell you why it's so powerful. It's really cool when you understand what's going on. First of all, in Solomon's day, horses were a thing of beauty. And Solomon had tons of horses. So first of all, being compared to a horse was still a good thing. But there's more. There's more. And the more is this. He mentions pharaohs, chariots. So one of the, the Egyptian army under the pharaohs one time, they were going to war with another nation, right? And they're all lined up with their chariots, and they're ready to go into battle. And so what Pharaoh did, he said, he said, let's get a female horse who is in heat, okay? And what they did is, is all the other male horses on the other army, they go charging at each other. You got this female horse in heat freaks all the guy horses out on the other side. They can't even concentrate. They can't even think. All they can do is look at this female horse that is in heat, and it blows their army completely apart. That's what it is. So you know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? You're driving all the men crazy, and you're driving me crazy too. I can't take my eyes off you. No man can take his eyes off of you. You are absolutely smoking hot awesome. That's who you are. And he does it in a very poetic way. She understands that. So when your husband says to you, baby, you're a horse, you know what we're talking about this week. You're a horse. And that's okay. That's okay. That's a good thing. And then he says this. He gets very specific. Your cheeks. And he gets specific all throughout this. And so does she backwards. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Write this down. It's the last and final point. Passion begins with a compliment. This is very important. Passion begins with a compliment. Song of Solomon says, your lips drop sweetness. Proverbs says the words of a good person are like pure silver. Proverbs says thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any swords, but wisely spoken words can heal. And lastly, one of my favorite, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We need to nurture the positive. I'm going to close with this. It's very important. We must, in order to have smoking hot relationships, in order to have passion in our relationships, we have to nurture the positive. John Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. Guys become famous. University of Washington has run this marriage clinic out there. He takes a very scientific approach to studying marriage, which I love. He goes by numbers. Like he puts probes on people, has them talk, talks about their stress level, analyzes. Check this out. Here's why he's become famous. He can predict at a 91% accuracy rate. He can predict at a 91% accuracy rate after just watching a couple interact for a short amount of time whether that couple is going to stay married or get divorced. Is that cool or what? Takes a scientific approach at it, looks at it. That is powerful. Does this. Now, you can YouTube this guy 
in YouTube, John Gottman, Four Horsemen. Put Four Horsemen up, because what he's famous in his books about talking about, or you can see him online in his lectures, is he says, there are four, ter- like the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse from the book of Revelation, he says, there are four horsemen that destroy marriages. And one of the horsemen, which I want to talk about right now, is criticism. He says, he says, you've got couples that are masters at marriage, and you've got couples that are disasters. And he says, the masters of marriage complement, and they nurture the positive. The disasters of marriage are always talking about the critical. The masters, the masters over here at a ratio of five to one, at bare minimum, five to one, there's five times the amount of complement and nurturing of the positive over the negative. The disasters don't come close. They're different. It's anything less than five to one. You have to nurture the positive. And he's very specific. They're very specific in songs. Song. Oh, baby, I love your cheeks. I, I, I love your neck. Later, he says, I love your teeth. I love your hair. Very specific. And he's focused on the positive and he's nurturing. What Gottman says is this. is a lot of people go into a marriage counselor and they go in and say, okay, marriage counselor, fix my problem. And he says, the problem is, that's not the only problem. When you fix the problem, you get that one done, then you got another one coming in. And not that we don't give time and energy to fixing problems, we do. But he says, more energy needs to go, not ignoring the problem, more energy should go to nurturing the positive than fixing the problems. You're always going to have problems. You're always going to have them. But you've got to nurture the positive. You've got to talk about what you love about your spouse. And this is what you see happen in the Song of Solomon constantly talking about the worth and the value and what you love so much about your spouse. Focus on that. Focus on that. And then speak it out. It's not enough. It's not enough that it's in your head. Speak it. The other person that you're in a relationship needs to hear it. Speak the words out. Let me end with a story. It's a story uh, uh, from the South Pacific. In the South Pacific, what they used to do years ago is when a guy wanted to marry a girl, what, what he would use uh, to buy, so to speak, as uh, like an, an endowment, right, to, to the family is a cow, all right? So on this island in the South Pacific, so if you saw a girl and, man, you know, think, okay, she's, she's all right, she's good, uh, I'll, you know, two or three cows or whatever, something like that. If she was, like, smoking hot, you might offer four cows. If she was, like, Miss South Pacific, you would offer six cows, but you wouldn't go past six cows. And this guy, his name is Johnny Lingo. Johnny Lingo, um, very smart, young guy, smart, shrewd, very, very wealthy. He made a lot of good deals. He'd done a lot, so he made a ton of money and very shrewd. And so he sees this girl. He really wanted to marry her. He saw what he wanted. She was very plain, and she was very timid. She was, like, afraid of everything, very plain, very timid. And so um, he makes this deal. Right off the bat, no negotiation. He says, I'll give you eight cows. Tells her father, I'll give you eight cows. She's smoking hot. I want, I want eight cows. The entire island just goes into a complete uproar. What have you lost your mind? Or are you stupid? Nobody has ever offered eight cows. And what are you doing here? All this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, he does. And they get married. They get married. They move to the other side of the island. And one day, one of the ladies, women, you know, from their side of the island says, you know, I'm going to go to the other side of the island and, and, and visit. It's not like she wasn't after gossip or anything to report back because, you know what I'm saying, women don't do that. But um, <laughs> just telling the story. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just telling the story. Just not making speculation. So I'm going to go to the other side of the island. I want to see how this whole thing has turned out. She just knocks on the door, and this woman comes to the door, and she's, like, confident, and she's, like, 
bubbly and full of life, and she's beautiful. And so the lady says, I'd like to see Johnny Lingo's wife. And she says, here I am. What are you looking for? No, 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 no. I want to say, no, no, I'm in Johnny Lingo. Okay, well, to take me to Johnny Lingo. What did you do with the woman you married? There she is. It's the woman I married. He said this. What happens on this island is all the wives get together after they're married, and they talk, and they say, how many cows for you? Two cows, three cows? I wanted my wife to know that she was more valuable than any other woman to me on this island. I didn't start out low. I started out off the top. Value, worth, change life. Proverbs 31, which is all about the woman, a wife of noble character. She's worth far more than rubies. You want to focus on and nurture the positive. The negative will always be there. Give more energy to the positive. Give more energy to strength. This is what they do in the Song of Solomon. Do it over and over. Here's your assignment for the week. I really want you to think about. If you do nothing else this week, if you do nothing else this week, read chapter 1 over and over and over again. If you are married, read it out loud with your spouse. Not with like the woman next door, but with your spouse. This is really... Smoking hot. If you do nothing else. All right. And if you make it past that and you want to do more, here's what I really want you to think about doing. Serve. Serve. Start serving. How can I serve you better? How can I serve? Kiss. Kiss. I really want to hear back from some wives about an explosion of kissing. Okay? You don't have to start right here right now. Okay? (laughs) Character. Character. You're a single man here today? You want to be a man of God? Character. You're a single man here today? You want to be a man of God? Character. Character. Character is sexy. Character is the sexiest thing that you bring to your wife. Character. Integrity. Clear with your speech, a man of honor. That's what you bring to the table. Is that clear enough? Okay. Compliment. Focus. Let your lips drip sweetness. Nurture the positive. All right, we're done. I'm going to say one thing that I'm sure I've gone over time. I forgot to wear my watch today. I apologize. I've got a lot of food out there for you. I hope you stay for that. Here's the thing. God's put this on my heart. On Monday, May the 7th, one week from tomorrow, Monday, May the 7th at 7 p.m. 7th at 7 p.m. It's really easy to remember. 7th at 7 p.m. It's a week from tomorrow at the church office in Boston. Not here. At the church office in Boston. I want to call a day of prayer and fasting. Fasting is when you don't eat. Fasting is when you don't eat something and you spend the day, instead of the time eating, you have to spend all day praying, but the times that you would eat, you say, hey, God, you know, you're praying about something, okay? The Bible says fasting is powerful. Jesus Christ says some things only, check this out, some things only change by prayer and fasting. That's what Jesus says. Some things only change by prayer and fasting. I feel like God's put it on my heart. We're going to fast and pray for two things specifically. Number one, not in an order of importance, number one, marriages. We're going to pray for marriages to become smoking hot. We're going to pray for marriages to be restored, renewed, healed, transformed, wherever you want to call it, just to be absolutely awesome marriages. Number two, we're going to pray for God Almighty is the divine matchmaker. He brings Adam and Eve together, and he says, here you go. I'm bringing you two together. I believe with all my heart that God wants to make a bunch more divine matches. I believe that God wants to bring people together, men and women of God, and make divine matches. And I want us to fast and pray about those two things. 
And I want to encourage you to come out, to fast and to pray and to do something very powerful and let God get a hold of our lives and see what God will do. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your words. Powerful. It's awesome. Thank you that you speak in such a clear, relevant way to us. God, help us to understand and to correctly respond to your word. Bless every marriage. Bless every relationship. Bless every person here who wants to get married. Almighty God, divine matchmaker, make some matches to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.